Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, which he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purposes of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet, And appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So continuing our Bible reading in Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, 
You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Well, friends, Happy New Year. I, uh, I hope it's started well. Uh, next week, we're going to continue our series in Romans, as I've already mentioned. Uh, but today, we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, because here in this church, we like to make it our habit of, of preaching through and reading through the Bible book by book, verse, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And we do that because we're far more interested in hearing what God has to say than simply whatever I decide I should speak about each week. We want to let God set the agenda for our preaching. Uh, But today we're going to do it a little bit differently. We're going to talk about the thing that I decided we should talk about. Uh, It's not my own idea, though. 
as I've already indicated in the kids' church, uh, kids' talk, it's, uh, it's God's idea. And it's a real important idea. In fact, I think the church is the most, one of the most important topics we could consider. And I'm not you know, exaggerating when I say that. I really think that the church is one of the most important topics for us to get our heads around. There might be wars raging in parts of the world. There might be uh, famine. I read this week there's 50 million people in the world who won't have anything to eat today or tomorrow because of the global food crisis. Uh, Two times the population of Australia. But even with all those things going on, those very serious issues, I think understanding the church is a bigger, more important issue. And this morning, I want you to see why. My hope this morning is that you drive out those gates knowing that you have been part of something of ultimate significance. And to help us do that, we're going to consider uh, what we've just read in Ephesians 1 and 2, but we're not going to work through it kind of verse by verse like we normally would, uh, but we will be referring to it. So keep your Bibles open. Uh, Let me pray. And then let's see what God has to say about his church. Uh, Father God, we ask now that you would grab our attention. That you would help us put away the things that are distracting us. That you would revive those of us who are weary. Lord, help us pay attention as you speak now. And as you reveal your great plan for your church. Help us to see that what we are a part of is more significant than we often give credit for. Help us see that we are part of your great redeeming work. And we pray that as we understand that, that would shape and transform how we exist as your church, how we act towards one another and what it is that we do here when we gather. This is a big thing to ask of you, but we trust that you are more than capable of even giving life to the dead. You can shape us to be the church that you want us to be. And so we ask that you would, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, before we dig into what God has to say about his church, I want to ask you, what do you think your friends think about church? Think for a second about how your non-church-going friends, your family members, if you were to ask them what they thought about the church, what might they say? I suspect you'll know some people that will say, church is great for you, not so much for me. You might have other friends who think church is just a bit kind of old-fashioned, a bit strange, a place for little old ladies to knit and drink tea. They might think it's outdated, a thing that had its place back in the day when we didn't know better, but now no longer needed. You might have some friends who just think church is boring and they can't be bothered even giving it more thought than that. You might even know some people that think church is dangerous. 
That church is a powerful machine used to oppress and coerce and control for the benefit of those at the top. Do you have some friends that think that way about church? I reckon, though, if you go down to Main Beach or down to Sunshine Plaza and you ask the average Sunshine Coaster what they think of church, you know what I think they'll say? You know what response I think would be most common? Just nothing. They'll look at you blankly and say, I don't really think anything about the church. And think, for most Australians, church is just not even on the radar. It's entirely irrelevant. So far removed from anything that they care about that they simply do not give even an ounce of thought to it. Now, I want to put it to you this morning that it's, it's that kind of attitude, that, that apathy towards church, that I think is actually the biggest danger to our church continuing into the future. And not the apathy of people outside the church, but the apathy of us who are a part of it. If you could gaze into the crystal ball and see that in 20 years' time, Tawantan Noosa Presbyterian Church no longer existed, I don't think it'll be because of the receivership, and I don't think it'll be because everyone here suddenly had a crisis of faith and intentionally stopped believing the gospel. I don't think it would even be because there was some huge relational blow-up. I think the most likely thing is that people here just stopped caring about church. Where those of us inside the church start to think the same way as those outside. Where we consider what we do here to be irrelevant, insignificant, and then unnecessary. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to uh, say that this is going to happen. I don't actually think our church will close down in the next 20 years. I pray that it won't. I'm not trying to invent a crisis. But in a time when church buildings are being pushed out of the town squares and deeper and deeper into industrial estates and fringe suburbs, and in a time where Christianity is being pushed out of society's consciousness and deeper and deeper into social oblivion, it would be so easy for us to sit here and think that this doesn't really matter. And so this morning, I want us to see just how significant this is. My sister-in-law studied archaeology at university. It's not a great career path. There's not many archaeologist jobs being advertised on seek.com. But for an archaeology student, the dream, the hope that very few of them actually realise is that, that one day they might go on an archaeological dig and that as they sit there and scrape away at the dirt with a paintbrush, that they might discover some rocks. And this is the thing with archaeology. Uh, to me... These look like rocks. But to an archaeologist, these are Bronze Age tools that they get really excited about and go write papers about. Because when you know what something is, then you can comprehend its significance. And so, friends, in the same way, to the untrained eye, the church 
is entirely unremarkable. But when we understand what it is, it's then that we'll see its true significance. And so the question for us to first answer is, what is the church? Now, Gavin actually gave us the most basic definition of the church. The church is a gathering, a gathering of people. That's what the word that we translate church means. It's an assembly. It's not a building. It's a gathering of people. But the first thing we need to see that this church, uh, sorry, the first thing we need to see is that church is a people gathered by God. Now, lots of people, both inside and outside the church, don't understand this. They think of church like a club. If you like hitting balls with rackets, then you can join a tennis club where you'll find other people who like hitting balls with rackets. But if you prefer smaller balls and you would rather hit them with a stick than a racket, well, there's another club for you. And if you want a book club where the book never changes and you don't mind singing a few songs, well, then maybe you'd like to join the church, the Christian club. And and so we get this idea that the church is kind of just like any other club or society, association. And you can see why that is, can't you? Because it's very common for churches to actually start looking like other clubs. You find a bunch of people who are like you and who like the same kinds of things that you like. And then you become a member and you pay your dues and you volunteer and it's all very nice. And if it isn't very nice, well, you can just leave and find another Christian club to go and join. One that maybe better suits your tastes. It's so easy for us to actually start treating this like a club, like a human invention. But friends, the church is not a club. Because did you see how Paul describes the church in Ephesians? He said it was God's household. A dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. It's not a human invention. It is God's invention and it exists purely and only because God made it. In chapter 1, Paul showed how it had always been God's intention to gather a people to be his own possession. He praises God at the start of chapter 1 for choosing a people from before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He praises God for predestining those people to be adopted as his own children for redeeming them, for forgiving them, and for ultimately uniting them as one with each other and with Jesus in his church. And friends, throughout the whole Bible, you'll discover that it is always by God's initiative that people are gathered into his presence, in his name. We see that right from the beginning of the Bible, don't we? When God establishes the nation of Israel and the first kind of gathering of his people, and he gathered them by first calling Abraham. Now, did Abraham decide one day that he was going to establish a new nation and that it would be a religious nation? No. 
He was off worshipping false gods. He wasn't seeking after God at all, but God called him. Abraham didn't decide anything. God called him and God blessed him. And then God built a nation around the promises that he made to Abraham. A promise to bless the nations through his family. A promise culminating in Jesus, the descendant of Abraham, and the one through people from all the nations would be welcomed and united with God and with his people, the church. And Ephesians 1 and 2 it kind of focuses on this reality that, that Gentiles, that the people who were foreigners and strangers, the people who were far away from God, the people who had nothing to do with God, that they have been included in Christ, united with him, adopted into his household, indwelt by his spirit. They're all included in his church, Jews and Gentiles, all the nations, and all only because God in love decided to. Friends, the the thing we need to see from the outset, the church is not a human invention. Now, there are things that happen here that are just kind of merely human. You know, we have bank accounts, we have to appoint people to do certain tasks, it There is much about this that is very ordinary. But friends, the church is not a human invention. It is God's invention. Now that has a lot of implications for what we do and what we are as a local church. Because friends, if this church and if the wider church only exists Because God, in his mercy, chose to call people from Noosa into his one worldwide household in which he chooses to dwell by his spirit. If all of that happens purely because God chose to, that means that everything that we do will be directed by him and everything that we do will be done for him. This is not a place where we get to set the agenda, is it? It is God who caused this to exist. And so everything that we do is done for him. It also means that the church is not a means to an end. But it is an end in itself. I'll explain what I mean there. So often I hear people talking about church as if its reason for existence is to do some activity. Usually it's something like feeding the poor and the needy or you know, providing homes for the homeless or, or influencing politics, providing a service to family, whatever it is. We, we talk as if this exists for that goal and that goal is, is something out there usually. I once even uh, sat down at a pastor's get-together where a pastor was asking for prayer because he felt that his duties of preaching and teaching in church were getting in the way of his real job, which was looking after the homeless. He, he, He saw so much that the church existed for the benefit of the homeless. 
Now, don't get me wrong, the church collectively will do things. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so if we are people who have been redeemed, who have been shown God's love and mercy, of course we're going to want to do whatever we can to show love and mercy to our world. But what we need to see is that the church is not a means to some other end. It is the goal itself. God's plan from before the beginning of time was to redeem a people for himself. To gather them around the Lord Jesus so that they might glorify him and enjoy him forever. And friends, that is what the church is. God's treasured possession. And so before we ask, what does the church do? We need to see first that the church is. This is God's goal, a people gathered to him. Now, there's heaps more that we could say here. I I struggled with this sermon because there is so much to say about the church. And I think we might actually revisit it later in in a series about the church. But I want to stop here. Uh, Because there's actually a far more fundamental question that we need to address. We've seen what the church is, but we also need to see who's in it. Because if God saw fit to call a people to belong to himself and to define them as those who are adopted, redeemed, forgiven, possessed by his spirit, that means there's a line There are some who are in and some who are not. And so the question has to be, who's in? And how do you get in? Does walking through those doors and sitting in a pew make you part of the church? Does becoming a communicant member or being baptised with water or taking communion or deciding to try and be a good person, does that make you part of the church? Does that determine who's in and who's out? Of course, the answer is no, they don't. None of those things do. They might appear to be the things that define who's in the building, but the invisible church, the true people of God, are not defined by anything that they do. Because becoming the holy dwelling place of the one true God is not something that any of us have within our capability. Now, I haven't applied for a job in a long time. Ministry is a little bit different. But uh, when I was an engineer, I used to have to apply for jobs and I used to have to provide a resume. A list of my credentials. I would itemize them. Here are the things that I know, the things that I can do, the things that I've learned about. Do you see what Paul says are the credentials of the Ephesians before they were in Christ? He lists them there at the start of chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your trespasses 
uh, transgressions and sins. How's that for a resume? What can you do? Nothing. I am dead. And, and this is us. This is all people. By ourselves, we are totally, permanently incapable of being in the church. We, we can't make ourselves part of God's church. We have no power, no life. We're dead. And so, friends, the only way that people like us could be included into God's one holy universal church is for some power to come upon us from outside of us, to take hold of us, to give us life. And so, friends, that is exactly what God did in establishing his church. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And then God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. This is the picture of the church. God took people who were dead and then he gave them life and secured for them a place in the gathering of God's people. A place they didn't earn, a place they couldn't gain for themselves, a place that God's own son needed to bleed and die to give to you by grace. Now, friends, where does that leave us? We've seen the church, what is it, and the church, who's in it. But there's an important question that's left unanswered there, which is for us to ask ourselves, am I in it? And I don't think there's any question more important or more relevant to you right now in your life. Because this isn't an insignificant matter. The church is not an insignificant relic. It's the culmination of all that God has been doing in the world from the beginning of time. This is the end result of God's work in the world. The goal to which creation has been heading. A people belonging to God. And so, friends, there is no other gathering in all time, in all the world, more important than this. The United Nations, the G8 Summit, they're nothing compared to the gathering of all those that are included in Christ. And so, friends, let me ask you, are you included? Are you in As you consider the question, understand this. It's entirely possible for you to be a part of this church as a purely human institution without being part of the church, the true church, the invisible church. It's entirely possible to be a part of this gathering that meets in this building as a result of your attendance at Sunday worship or your baptism or your family heritage. It's entirely possible to look like you belong. But friends, the only way for you to be part of the church 
is for you to be included in Christ. He is the only way in. To be made alive while you were dead in sins. And the mechanism by which that happens is outlined for us in verse 13 of chapter 1, isn't it? You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. You were included in Christ when you heard the message, when you believed. And so, friends, have you believed this gospel? I I see we've got visitors here, new people here. Have you, welcome first, but have you taken hold of this good news that though you were dead in sin, Christ raised you to life? And friends, if you haven't, can I urge you to do that today? Take the next step, whatever you need to answer that question. Come talk to me after if you want to find out more what that means. Have you been included? There is no more important question in the world. But friends, if you have, if you're someone here who has believed the gospel, who is included in Christ, who is in the church, I want to invite you this morning to consider your attitude towards the church. Do you see how remarkable it is? Do do you see how significant it is? It's so easy for us, and I do this too, to just to come into this gathering each week and to treat it as if it's really ordinary. And to even treat it as if it's maybe not that important. And, you know, maybe I just, I don't need to go every week. Or I, I don't really need to invest in it or put effort into it. Because on the surface, to the untrained eye, it's like the, the rocks that the archaeologists find. It's not impressive, is it? We're not impressive. If you want to find a more impressive building, you won't have to look hard. This building's great, but it's not amazing, is it? If you want to listen to better music, you can look elsewhere, can't you? John and Abby, you did a wonderful job. Thank you. But, you know, you can find probably better performances elsewhere. If you want to find better coffee, that is not hard either. (laughs) There are plenty of places that you can look to to find things that look more impressive. You may even find other places where you discover people that you find easier to get along with or who might share more of your interests. But friends, only here can you gather as the household of God. I don't mean only here in this building, but only in the gathering of God's people can you be included in the household of God. Only here can you have fellowship with all those who belong to Jesus. Only here can you participate in God's great big plan for his world. Friends, 
Consider the love that God has for his church. A love that went to such lengths that he would sacrifice his own son to redeem it. Friends, that is what God thinks when he looks upon the church. What do you think? Let me pray. Our Father God, we we thank you, we praise you, that you in love called a people to belong to you, your own special possession, those who are gathered in Christ through the finished work of Christ to be your people forever and to glorify you and enjoy you. And Lord, we praise you that we here have been included in that. That we here gather this morning, not as some human club who just share a common interest, but as people who have been purchased for God. People who were dead in sins, but have been made alive in Christ Jesus. And so Lord, we pray this morning that you would give us the same kind of love for your church that you have. We pray that we won't treat this gathering as insignificant, but that we will see the love and devotion that you have for it and that we might have the same. Help us to love your church like you love it. Help us to recognize its significance. Help us see that there is no more gathering more significant than when we gather with your people who are united to you. And so Lord, I pray that you would give us great joy at being your church. And we pray this for the glory of our King, the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.